we don't see this being an industry that has a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which is the perception that a lot of people have. Our perception of the industry is that it's just like any other, right? But we have an opportunity to be in it a bit ahead, a bit early, and the people who we're doing this with love what we do, right? So that's sort of the edge that we feel we have over what you'd say is your traditional multi-state operator. You're listening to Cultivation Elevated, hosted by James Cunningham and Michael Williamson, where we discuss vertical farming and the future of cannabis and food production. You'll be learning key insights for vertical farming success from leading industry operators, growers, and executives. If you're a grower or owner looking to optimize your existing or new indoor cultivation facility, or anyone looking to cultivate more and less space, we've got you covered. Cultivation Elevated, sponsored by Pip Horticulture. Welcome to another episode of Cultivation Elevated, sponsored by Pip Horticulture. I'm here today with Daniel Craveiro, who is the Director of Research and Development at Camaraderie Group. So tell me more about Camaraderie Group, because it's a, it's really a house of brands. Yeah, you got it. So um, our group has uh, three brands under it right now. It's Concentrates, uh, which sells concentrates and flour. Uh, we have Mayflower Farms, which is another flour brand with concentrates as well and Serona Cultivated, which has a transdermal patch product underneath. The Serona Cultivated brand started in the early inception of the company with uh, sort of a, the desire of the founders of the company to have a product that was directly applicable to, to their health and well-being. And so that's where the patch was born out of, was because we, we saw this as a way to get pain relief without necessarily having to go through means with, with other substances. And then the, the Mayflower and Summit brands are your kind of traditional recreational or retail consumer brands. For people who might not be familiar with a transdermal patch, can you just give a quick uh, rundown on kind of what that is and its mechanism of delivery? Definitely. So um, a, a transdermal patch is supposed to be sort of a reservoir of compounds, um, in this case cannabinoids, um, that is held within a, a surface and once you put it on your skin, that product is supposed to go through your dermis, which is your, your outer skin layer, and actually get in through your capillary veins into your circulatory system. So the idea of putting cannabinoids into your system in a way other than smoking or eating is, is the whole goal of this. And um, I think the, the target of the technology has really been for localized pain relief. Okay, yeah. awesome. We've known each other for a while, and it's always good to see you. Can you... I guess maybe give us a, some background information because we both kind of started in this industry right around the same time in the same city, essentially. So if you want to kind of give a rundown on kind of how you got started and what brought you to the industry and kind of, yeah, what got you to the position that you're in today? Definitely. So I was lucky enough to start uh, working in the industry in 2009. Um, I was going to see uh, CU Boulder for ecology and evolutionary biology at the time. So I was, um, I believe, a sophomore in college when uh, the, the rules changed, so to speak, uh, the Ogden memo was released, which was, you know, the federal government basically saying that they weren't going to spend federal resources prosecuting people who were following state laws with regards to cannabis cultivation. Um, so that was kind of like the green light for the industry in 2009. I was studying ecology and evolutionary biology at the time, really focusing on plant sciences. So I saw this really neat crossover between cannabis and my education. I'm a fan of the, the plant itself. Sure. And so I, I felt like I was at the right place at the right time to really dive into this. So for the first couple of years of my time in the industry, I was fortunate to be able to bring a lot of the, the questions, the technical 
aspects that I was trying to figure out in the industry into the classroom and, and kind of ask the questions in a covert way, so to speak. Uh, but it was a really good kind of crossover of, of education and experience to kind of start my, my time. It's nice when you're in school and you have like that thing that you can relate it to and make it kind of your internal focus of how to stay deeply engaged with the subjects. hundred yeah. percent. And you know, I, guarantee you some of the other students that were in the plant sciences department taking those same courses had something similar in mind at the time. Uh, sure. At CU Boulder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I definitely wasn't the only one, <laughs> but uh, since then I've been fortunate to, to be able to hold different positions in the industry to learn sort of the, the different facets of it. Um, obviously my focus has been in cultivation and manufacturing processes, technologies, advancements. Um, but I've had the opportunity to manage a dispensary and be a bud tender and do some sales and, so I've, I've been fortunate to have exposure to the different facets of the industry, which has brought me a lot of, I guess, um, exposure. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we both remember pre-vertical integration and then we remember vertical integration really well. And I remember a lot of people were like, this isn't fair. You know, where are we going to come up with all this money? Yeah. You know, especially if you were a retailer oh, yeah. and you had to like go back and go to like first mile of creating product. Yeah. I remember when we were at Kind Love, we were like, this is a blessing. Like we were getting frustrated with like quality vendors, like the there wasn't checks and balances. You saw the caregiver type thing and vetting through vendors and just hoping that the product wasn't contaminated. Lab testing wasn't really around in the early days. So, you know, as as being medically focused and a lover of the plant, yeah, it left I think owners and operators frustrated with the unknown, I think. And so yeah. we welcomed vertical integration when it came on. We knew it was going to be a big challenge, but like you were saying, you've done everything in the space and therefore you have a complete understanding of the roles and what it takes to take a, something from nothing all the way to, you know, a skew package good on the shelf. Yeah. Well, that's a really good point. You know, when you say that we welcomed vertical integration, I think that's a very fundamental um, sort of shift that needed to take place in the industry to, to, give it its next step of legitimization, right? How can you have a legitimate product that is literally produced in somebody's basement, trafficked to some store, sold to somebody else? Like that's not really the way that this was set up to be, right? So it, it took getting through that to get to where we are now. We still have a long way to go. You know, I think that we're a mature market in terms of having been doing this now for 10 plus years, but we're a completely immature industry compared to other industries and how they've developed standards and, and baselines and those types of things. So yeah. curious to see where it goes, but I think that vertical integration was, was key to getting us to the next level. Painfully key. Painfully. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, dropped out of the map because yeah. of that. Um, yeah. When they changed rules with camera systems, right? Everybody had a specific DVR and set of cameras. And then all of a sudden now you have to upgrade because the state doesn't allow you to use what you had previously. Now you got to spend six figures. Some people can't do that. You know, that puts sure. operators underwater. So it's been quite the ride. Yeah. We were talking earlier and even, even modern times now, there's all kinds of consolidation happening where people are just finally throwing in the towel because they just can't hold on any longer. And we're kind of referencing it as like almost like a natural selection of the industry. Yeah. So you have one of the best titles in the org chart, in, in my opinion. And usually when you talk to growers, you know, they... R&D comes up a lot. You know, everyone wants to put at least an R&D room in their facility. But I guess, how did you get to that role with this company? Yeah, so um, it's it's been a long journey um, and a very fruitful one. So we started the company in, in 2017. And at that point, it was 
all hands on deck to, to do everything right. Just like all these different uh, startups that, that you see and hear about, you know, you don't know what to expect the next month or, or year after you start. So you kind of have to be ready to pivot, to change your direction if needed, to, you know, absorb market variations, sure. so to speak. And so I was fortunate early enough to, to work with a group of people who recognized that and were willing to give people their creative abilities in their own respect. So our sales guy was given a lot of liberty in really going out and, and revolutionizing the world of cannabis sales, you know, taking it from sort of the basement mentality to a more business-minded mentality. And that sounds simple, but it's, it's pretty fundamental in the cannabis industry these days. The guys in operation were given a lot of leeway and a lot of trust with executing. And so, you know, we set very high level goals and said, look, we know that we don't know exactly how we're going to get here, but this is where we want to get. And as long as we're on the same page about it, then anybody who has an idea of how to get there, let's talk. Right. So it was a lot of that sort of collaborative spirit that got the company to, to where it is. It allowed us to sort of step away from developing the operations themselves, mm -hmm. getting to the point where they're now running. And then people like myself can do things like step away from the operations a bit and get to do research and development. That's awesome. So just long road, but fruitful. And then camaraderie is kind of almost, you guys, do you guys consider yourselves an MSO? I mean, technically you're in multiple states or you, are you a small MSO? I know so, MSO is kind of like a, yeah. it's something people want to be, but it's also kind of a, it's those, uh, there's some negative negativity around it as well. hundred percent. You hear the words MSO, consultants, like those, yeah. are, those are some tricky words. And for our listeners, MSO is multi-state operator. Absolutely. So yeah, we are technically a multi-state operator because our brands are present in, in multiple states, mm -hmm. but we are not, I guess what you would think of as your traditional multi-state operator that went out, raised a bunch of capital, started buying up grows and dispensaries, and then is now trying to figure out how to make it all one cohesive. Right? cohesive. Yeah. We have taken a different approach. Um, the, the money that has been put into developing our, our company is very close friends and family type and we've, we've really tried to do it on, on a budget, you know. We don't see this being an industry that has a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which is the perception that a lot of people have, and you, you've communicated that, you know, in your travels and what you've seen. Our perception of the industry is that it's just like any other, right? But we have an opportunity to be in it a bit ahead, a bit early, and the people who we're doing this with love what we do, right? So that's sort of the edge that we feel we have, over what you'd say is your traditional multi-state operator, right? right? And I think I failed to mention where we are, but we're at your Mayflower facility, which is in Denver, Colorado. Um, and then you also have operations in Michigan. That's correct. Yeah. So we have uh, two facilities here in Colorado. We supply product to the retail market here. Um, and then we have an operation actually in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Out of the UP. Out of the UP. So um, it's it's way up there. Sure. Very neat though. It's, it's a building that literally came from the ground up. So it was cannabis oriented. Oh, uh, nice. Yep. And we have our DAGDA fertigation systems running the facility. So fertilizer mixing, irrigation, soil sensors, the whole nine. And that product gets distributed under the Summit brand as flour and also concentrates. So there's also a full um, C1D1 lab up there where we can do extractions with hydrocarbons. Um, and we produce pretty much the same suite of products that we do here in Colorado in Michigan. But the beauty is that the, the Michigan operation is actually a, an independent owner. He owns his business, he runs it, but we have provided him 
the the technology and the processes to operate. Nice. Did you guys use this as a training zone for, for the team? Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. And it was it was a really unique God, that's experience. nice, huh? It's awesome. I mean, this facility is great because we're so close to the airport. People can fly in, sure. be here twenty minutes, you know. Yep. Um, but the the unique experience we had was that during COVID, we were supposed to do all sorts of training with you know employees coming here to train and our employees uh-huh. going there, but that really got cut short through COVID. So we had to really rely on our, our SOPs. And we were sitting here thinking like, are we really going to be able to tell somebody else how to grow in a different state with SOPs on paper? And I'd like to say that we've been successful at it. We nice. were able to really communicate our body of knowledge to the team there. Obviously it takes stellar humans to be able to accomplish that on the other side. And we were lucky that they really got some solid people on their team but it's it's been a really cool endeavor to pass Did you take on. any of that to video or like live I don't yeah. know, FaceTime equivalent or whatever you want to call it? Definitely. That's that's a great great point. So we use this platform um called Dozuki. Um it's and a it's mouthful. A, yeah. yeah. It's uh it's basically like a website that you can program uh, SOPs and job guides and tests and templates cool. and all that stuff into. And then uh, your employees have a login. They go in there. They take the courses. They pass the tests. They watch the videos. They click on the links. Um, and it's a really kind of wholesome. Nice. Internal, nice IP. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, that's um, that's the operation in Michigan. And you know, on the consultant front that I mentioned earlier, you know, that name has a bad it's reputation. Just, just, you put it right next to Master Grower in my book. Right. You know, it's like. And for us, you know, we, we do see ourselves as as people who are consulting others, but we're not doing so from a, you know, a 50,000 foot tower. Yeah. You're owner operators. That's, exactly. you know, we use the word Sherpa at one of my other companies, um, but we're here to guide you and mitigate risk. But you know that yet yeah, consultant is tough. You just have to print out a business card and put your name on there and sure. call yourself a consultant. But yeah, you guys are real life owner operators who deal with real problems. You mentioned Dagda. And so one of the things I noticed on one of my first visits here, which was probably three years ago. Yeah. Well, A, I was like, you're growing really nice flower, which go to a lot of facilities. I don't always see the best flower. Um, so for me, I was like, oh, they're growing great flower. And I know that sounds like such a, something you would expect, but it's not as common as I think people would think. And it's for a myriad of different reasons. It could be genetics. It could be their processes. A lot of it's how they handle it in post-harvest. But I remember going to your post-harvest and being like, that's flour that I want to consume. And that caught my eye. And then I noticed that you guys were also on this really innovative track and you've done some strategic um, key hires here. And so, well, I think the first time I came here, we're like, you know, I'm like, what fertigation system is this? And you're like, this is our fertigation system. And I was like, well, tell me more. So tell me more about some of those innovative things like your fertigation system and maybe anything else that you're able to share at this time. Yeah, Absolutely. So um, we've had the fortune and pleasure to have some really stellar people on our team from a leadership perspective. You know, the founders of the company are, are very plant-oriented people. They love and care about the plant, just like all of our consumers. But uh, we also have other people on the team who are very key to sort of revolutionizing the way we do things. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, professionals, right? So the professional person who helped us develop Dagda uh, is actually a professor in aerospace engineering at Penn State. Um, and he works with uh, the physics of aircraft parts. So a lot of his work really involves sensors, uh, measuring forces, you know, creating test conditions in very specific environments to mm-hmm. simulate environments. And um, once once he came out to Colorado early on to see our operations, he immediately looked around and, and 
started seeing this whole open world of automation that, that we could tackle. And so, you know, we looked at the existing fertigation systems that were in the market and we saw some of the uh, deficits that they had in terms of being applicable to cannabis specifically. And so we decided to jump head on or head in or full, full on into that endeavor. What we've done since is basically develop a set of systems for fertilizer mixing, uh, fertilizer delivery to the plants, so irrigation, and then also substrate monitoring. So sensors that are placed into the root zone and uh, mineral wool or cocoa or soil um, to, to monitor water content, electrical conductivity, and, and temperature. So um, what we're trying to do with these technologies is develop them from, like you said, the, the grower or owner operator perspective, uh, because we run into problems here all the time and we want to solve them, right? And so the, the whole approach of the development of the systems has been from a, a user's perspective, right? We're not sitting in some room thinking of what people would want as a feature. We're experiencing it in our own facility and we're saying, man, wouldn't it be nice if we could pH this automatically, right? Well, okay, now we add that feature to the system mm-hmm. and continue the development. So it's it's been a blast. And I, that that really is what we're starting to focus on now for the growth of our national presence, because we realize that if you want to have a consistent product in multiple locations, then you have to have consistent SOPs, you have to have consistent equipment, production processes. And the only way you're going to achieve that is by kind of making everything one. That's the challenge with the big MSOs that are buying up all these different places. You've got eight fertigation systems. You've got 12 different HVAC systems. You know, you've got different nutrient. I mean, it, it, you have a, you have a lot of variance between your, your branded products yeah. state to state. You hit the nail on the head. And, you know, we've, we've heard, and I won't name names, but we've heard through the grapevine of large MSOs literally going through multiple executives that they would hire to try to figure out this problem. Basically, your new job is figure out how to make all these things operate the same. And, you know, the the tough part there is it's financial. It's like you're either gutting the van and getting in all the right stuff so you have some form of something. And I feel bad for some of these regional cultivation director types who have to manage like eight facilities over four states and everything's different. And and a lot of them are friends of mine. And, you know, they have real challenges just with monitoring, let alone actually doing anything. Right. so you guys are addressing that at the root cause here at HQ and then kind of the planning to execute by going to other states with strong developed IP and systems that you guys have your fingers prints all over. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry, you said something earlier that I thought was really awesome is you're actually encouraged to like try and break the stuff that you're developing. Oh yeah, that's one of the more fun parts of the job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, you know, we have to simulate anything that anybody might run into, right? So physically with our systems, right? They are responsible for the health of our plants. So a computer failing can't lead to our plants failing, right? So systems have redundancy, they have backups, and we really just try to beat them up to to make sure that they're solid. And you know, that's what gives us confidence, for example, operating a facility in the middle of the Upper Peninsula in Michigan, where in the winter they might wake up and there might be five feet of snow blocking the door. Right. You might not be able to get into your facility for a couple hours and sure. shuffle the snow from in front of the door. That's that's a reality out there, you know. Yeah. So we have to be able to basically control the facility from the outside if needed for that purpose, but also just to have the the peace of mind of knowing what's going on when, when you're not there. 
yeah, it's been a very cool endeavor and I think, I think it's just going to keep growing. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's in its infantile stages, which I think it's hard to believe for people like us who have been in it for 12, 13 years now yeah. or something That's wild. for the people listening who might not be able to watch some of the video. Can you like paint a picture of kind of like describe the, maybe the size of the building and kind of the, maybe some of the infrastructure you have in place. You know, we, we've, we've mentioned that, you know, this kind of started off as more of a traditional cultivation facility and, and, so, and it's now going through some evolution. Definitely. So yeah, this facility was built for cannabis in 2014. Uh, we call this our, our Mayflower facility or the Mayflower Farms location. And it's a 50,000 square foot building, um, two levels. Um, and we're able to essentially run our entire production process from start to finish in this building. And what I mean by that is we start with a clone and go all the way to a finished, packaged, labeled, tested product that's ready to be sent to a dispensary. The, the beauty of that is that we have full control over every step of the process. There's, there's no excuses, right, for, for messing anything up because we have ultimate control over the whole process. But the facility is built out with uh, both cultivation, manufacturing, packaging, as well as our sort of administrative offices. Mm -hmm. So we have five flower rooms that run the traditional double-ended HPS setup with um, horticultural rolling benches. Um, we use, you know, Netafim irrigation, which is pretty traditional for the setup. Sure. And um, that's basically how the facility had been operating since 2014, since the inception of the building. Come 2017, when this new entity started, is when we really started trying to test, experiment, go to the, you know, the next evolutions of things. So we started with the really slow, steady approach of replacing our, you know, fluorescent lights and veg with LEDs. And that sure. was kind of like the first step of getting into the next level. And we really had to just prove to ourselves that it was viable, that they did work, that the plants did grow. Um, and then we've kind of continued that evolution since. So now we're at the point where this facility we're in has a sixth flower room, and a second bedroom, and those two new rooms are basically our proof of concept for what you would consider the latest, greatest technology in the cannabis industry. So we're using PIP horticulture racking with the new Elevate system. Uh, we're using FOS LED lights. We're using Inspire HVACD. So basically what would be considered, you know, kind of high-end systems in the industry right now for this sort of um, high-efficiency cultivation, right? So that is a sixth flower room in our facility along with its own bedroom. And that's basically the goal of the rest of the rooms is to transition to that style eventually. So, you know, as you saw during our, our time throughout the building, uh, we have plenty of space to kind of grow into. Sure. Um, and, and that's the goal really here. As you described it, this is, you know, HQ. So obviously we have the entire cultivation process here. We have manufacturing. So we have solventless and solvent-based extraction here. So we, uh, we make bubble hash, we press rosin, we fill solventless vape carts in the building, uh, but we also have hydrocarbon extraction with, with butane, so we make you know, live resin cartridges, mm -hmm. uh, crystalline cannabinoid extracts, um, different you know, forms of the traditional concentrates. And then beyond that, packaging. So we have you know, packaging departments that box, sticker, jar, label, gram, you know, the whole, the whole process. You got the transdermal patches. Are you doing any edibles in this space? So we're actually working with another company out of Boulder on our edibles. Okay. And, um, we have both solventless gummies. Nice. Yeah. They're really nice. Nice. Um, and then solvent based, uh, but distillate, uh, gummies as well. 
For someone who might be listening and might not know the difference between solventless and solvent-based extracts, would you mind going into a little bit of just describing those two categories a little bit? Definitely. So the cannabis plant produces secondary compounds, which are the things that are desirable to us as consumers, right? We're talking about THC, CBD, other cannabinoids, the, the terpenes and the volatile aromatic compounds that give the plant flavor. So when we're talking about those compounds and extracting them from the plant, there's multiple ways to do that, right? One way is to take everything, the whole plant, and soak it in a solvent like butane or CO2 or alcohol. And that solvent can basically dissolve these compounds because they're soluble in that solvent. And then once you've got that combination of the solvent with the desirable stuff in it, you just have to figure out how to remove the solvent to get to your final product. If you're looking to produce a, you would call it a solventless or solvent-free product, then you're looking to mechanically separate the desirable parts of the plant, which are the trichomes that contain those secondary compounds. And you do so by basically agitating that plant material with ice and water. And when you, when you make this wet plant material cold, the trichomes, which contain the secondary compounds, get brittle, and they basically disconnect from the surface of the plant. And since they're heavier than water, you can kind of let them settle to the bottom, and then go through a series of filtration steps, collect them, and now you're talking about physically separating the desirable compounds of the cannabis plant without using anything other than ice and water. Um, and that's become a very desirable product in the industry these days because of all of the scrutiny that's been placed on hydrocarbon-based products or alcohol-based products um, or even some CO2-based products. I find the flavors unparalleled. Um, I also find that the effects are different than hydrocarbon. I get like more body uh, along with the head high as well, where in hydrocarbon, I think it's mostly head high for me. I, I would have to agree. And, you know, I... I can't point to any published papers, sure, but I can definitely uh, theorize that what you're experiencing is sort of the, the more wholesome effect of the plant, because when you do a solventless or solvent-free extraction, you can't be as selective, maybe, as you could be with a solvent-based extraction. Right? Mm -hmm. um, generally, with that mechanical separation, there's a little bit more of like a finesse to it, but you also get a lot of more compounds out of the plant, right? With solvent-based extraction, you're only going to get what's soluble in that specific solvent, right? So if there are compounds in the plant that aren't soluble in whatever you're using to extract it with, you might not get it in your final product, which might kind of slim down the variety of compounds that you're, you're consuming. So the phrase in solventless production generally is, is does it wash well? Meaning does it, does it yield well? And not all cultivars wash well. So how do you determine what washes well here? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So to kind of level set, right, we're talking about disconnecting these trichomes, which are little glands, from the surface of the cannabis plant, right? So generally, there's, there's a couple ways to approach determining whether you might have a good washer or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, some people do the, the classic jar test where you sample a, a specific amount of the fresh material from the plant. So you just harvest the plant cut out some fresh flowers as delicately as you can, put it in a glass jar with some water and ice and shake it. And you will literally be able to see those trichomes disconnect from the plant and settle to the bottom of the jar or not, right? Okay. Some strains, some varieties of cannabis, just they, they don't want to let go of those trichomes. 
uh, for some reason, the stalk is just very strong and attached to the surface of the plant because they grow out of the, the epidermis of the plant. And sometimes they don't let go. So you get very low yields, right? Mm-hmm. Or sometimes what happens is you, you notice that the glands actually, uh, they, they don't get brittle enough or there's so much terpene content in there that it's just, it's too greasy. Sure. What you're looking for is more of a granular feel. Sandy. Sandy, right? Yeah. Um, Which you can, you can, uh, you will experience it on the glove. Absolutely. Or in post-harvest sometimes, you know, they're like, oh, this is just, all these trichomes are shooting everywhere, you know, and you're like, that's the one. That's the one. Let's, let's, let's fresh freeze that next time. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a really good point. And, you know, it's unique because what we've found internally with the data that we've gathered on the 40, 50 cultivars that we've kind of cycled through over, over our time is that not a lot of them fit into both buckets. A lot of the strains that wash very well in the solventless or solvent-free process do not yield as well in the hydrocarbon-based process. Interesting. And, and very truly on the vice versa front as well. So things that are so rich in terpenes that as soon as you touch them, your fingers just get greasy. Mm-hmm. Not very good washers for yep. us. So maybe something to glean from that. But it's it's been a quite quite a unique endeavor to try to dive into each strain and learn. What do you consider like a good wash yield? Like what percentage of return is that? Um, like, you know, I think if you're hitting five plus percent, like you got something good on the wash. Yeah. And um, at what point does it not make sense to wash something? You know, that becomes a very, very tricky question. And, and the reason I say that is because when you're looking at the output of production, right, there's a lot of different ways to measure that. Generally, people measure production based off of grams of product per square foot of cannabis, mm-hmm. right? But then you kind of have to add a multiplier to that for total cannabinoids, total cannabinoids, or possibly you total know, terpenes, extraction or, yields, yeah. total terpenes. So kind of like the example I gave of washers that do well with, with solventless, but don't do well with hydrocarbon based product that plays into that equation, right? Certain strains that we grow, we will not harvest them to be smokable flour. For example, I would never grow lemon G 13 and harvest it to smoke because Who's going to want to trim that, right? It's funny you say that one. I remember that one well. It, yeah, it's intoxicating. Um, but yeah, it's it's geared for extraction. It's incredible. It's, it's an ugly looking flower. Yep. Do you find that you have to cut that one or blend it with something else because it's so strong? We have started doing that. Okay. So, you know, yeah. it's interesting. The industry used to see uh, blending of strains as, an es- uh, what is it, an escape or an excuse, right? If you had couple grams or you know a few hundred grams of this product not enough to make a full batch you had a couple hundred few hundred grams of this product not enough to make a full batch well let's combine them and make a full batch and now we'll call it something new something new right sure that used to happen a lot and it was out of a need of you know packaging or product availability or to have something new on the shelf or to have something new on the shelf right i remember those days so we've gone back to doing that yeah but with a really targeted approach sure. of complementing the flavor of, of this strain with the, the, you know, complementary flavor of this other one or the effect or whatever. Lemon G is a great example because it's so powerful. And I think it actually comes out of Ohio originally. Yeah. Lemon G and Death Star. Like, yeah. Ohio is like a sleeper state. Ours um, was known as the, the Cincy Cut. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I remember, do you remember when Bruce Banner, number three, and there was five and one were running around here? Yeah. We had the three and we would blend... Bruce Banner three with lemon G and it, and it was amazing how little lemon G you needed for it to really like have a, a presence, definitely, um, which is cool. It is. It, it's very unique how you find these like 
groups or families or worlds of strains that share yeah. those characteristics. So like, yeah, the, the, you know, the tangy comes up when you speak of those. Yeah. Types of, it's like fruit and gas balancing. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I think there's a, a very big world of complements that can occur in cannabis that people mm-hmm. aren't exploring as much. And, and, you know, we're curious about it. So we're playing around. Very cool. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Let's see. So are you're transitioning from a traditional kind of cultivation setup and now you're looking at these multi-tiered setups or these rolling setups how was that with the new room what was like what was the response from the team and and kind of how did how did that all go yeah so early on people were were very apprehensive about our transition from the traditional you know single level rolling bench hps approach that's the tried and true classic approach that's been working for the past few years and, and people were afraid to move out of it, right? I think some of the hesitancies were around the workflow, adding a second dimension to what we were doing, or third dimension, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. was really scary for some people. But I think as soon as we got the actual physical infrastructure in and things were set up and people were seeing the, the racks and how they work and seeing that there's platforms you can walk on and be comfortable that was a game changer, you know, and then the, the first cycle we ran, of course, there was a learning curve. We had to kind of tinker and figure some things out. But now people are saying that they actually prefer working in that environment because they're able to kind of tailor and customize it to, to how they want to work. Right. So that elevate platform, they can actually put the platform at the exact height it takes for their hands to reach into the canopy ergonomically and defan. Right. Before, it might be that you're defanning on the ground because yep. you've got a single bench and it's really low, and that's what you get. I talk about this a lot with people who are giving me their opinion on single-tier versus multi-tier. And you know, when you look at most single-tier operations, and I grew that way for a long time. I've seen incredible flour that comes out that approach. Um, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that some people can get more more output out of out of a space. But the thing about single tier is if you're on a rolling bench and you're going to grow, I don't know, a four to seven foot tall plant, the single level bench is already two feet off the ground. You kind of are vertical farming and, you know, you're on a step ladder in most cases, if you're trying to inspect the top or you're doing any kind of top defoliation or trellis work, you're on a step ladder. And now you're having to put the step ladder up, get up and down, or it's maybe a rolling locking U-line type platform ladder or something, but you're still having to go up and down these stairs. What you said is really accurate. The Elevate platform system, for me, it doesn't, whatever your height is, you can put it towards that kind of ideal ergonomic zone. And I think once people experience it, and when you get up there, I mean, I'm a big guy, I get up there and I I feel safe. Um, It's not like it's secure. Um, You know, the Elevate platform ladder is four times the minimum weight rating for OSHA standards, as an example. Um, which is surprising because when you go to put it in, it's so lightweight. Yeah. No, you just pick it up overhead, slide the sections in, put the ladder up. No, I mean, the system is, is very conducive to to comfortable operations, right? Which was the, the key, I think, in what you guys were trying to go for. Because one of the big challenges and, and barriers in the beginning was just convincing the team that we were going to be able to do this with ladders and maybe a scissor lift. And we were talking about how to figure all this out. And then the, the Elevate system came out, and that kind of took care of all that for us, right? Nice. So it was a really good transition, and I'm glad you guys released the product right when we were about to flip that switch. Yeah. Because it just made it that much easier. And I, I think now there's there's no looking back. You know? Well, kind of like you guys, um, Pip is a pretty incredible company. They don't outsource any, anything. I mean, we have an in-house engineering team. 
who at this point is constantly trying to figure out how to continue to be that market leader and like figure out the next thing that growers need and give it to them at a price point that they can afford to. But tell me more about some of the innovations that you guys have been doing here um, and how, as I guess, and how that kind of applies to the new multi-tiered racking setups. Is there anything that's coming out for you guys where you're like, hey, here's some new stuff that, you know, might be of interest? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. You know, I think one of the topics that is a very important topic, but is often overlooked is the concept of, of VPD, right? Um, and in our other cultivation environments with the traditional rolling bench, double-ended HPS setup, we wanted to control VPD, but we had no ability to do that with antiquated HVAC and standalone dehumidifiers. Like, there's no way to truly grow from a VPD perspective in those environments, right? Now that we've got Inspire HVACD, which allows us to really control our climate in, in a cannabis-oriented system, we're able to pay attention to VPD and control it. So um, getting our team to really pay attention to climate in the room as something that they can control versus just something that's going to be there and hopefully it's working well and hopefully it's where you want it, that's been a, actually a fundamental change for us because it used to be that, you know, you work with what you got, right? Facilities built six, seven years ago, of course, are going to be running on old technology. But now we're really lucky to have this new playground where we can control. Yeah, that, that wide delta that was previous is getting tighter and tighter. Yeah, definitely. Nice flat graphs. And, you know, the, the Inspire team, I think, is really solid at at playing that role because, you know, just like PIP has, has its own engineering team and people like yourself who are vastly interested in what we're doing here from a personal perspective, same thing with those guys. You know, yep. Conversations with them and the design and the theory and the thought behind their systems is very in line with our thought process here. Yeah, I mean, I think they did something really smart. You know, they they were um, they were HVAC guys, but they made sure they got cannabis guys on their team. Yeah. And the PIP did the exact same thing. That was kind of uh, our early uh, acquisition of Greenhouse Industries. It was really to make sure that we had real growers with real experience, real owner-operators that not just were owner-operators in the cannabis space, but that have actually been successful owner-operators. And I think it's easy to get into the cannabis space if you really want to. I don't think it's too difficult to climb to the top. I think it's extremely hard to hold the top. There's always someone behind you who's watching your every move and, and seeing your flaws and, and mimicking and um, maybe improving upon, or maybe they have more capital or whatever it is, but it's really hard to, you know, to hold the top. And, um, you know, I think that's something that is uh, something to strive for, for any operator. It's like a giant arms race in, in a good way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we talked about that too. You know, there's people think this pot of gold and, and the analogy that I use often is it's a marathon, not a sprint. So, you know, if you're going to get into the cannabis industry and, you know, it's so tough. Some people are like, oh, I've got a million dollars or I've got a half a million dollars. And that is a lot of money for someone to possess. But you will lose that money so fast if you do not have the right team, the right infrastructure, the right tools, and the right integration of those things. And Unless you got those, you might as well go to Vegas. Yeah, right? Um, you're losing it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tough space, but um, I think it's, it's still in its infantile stages. It's hard to believe because we're seeing so much consolidation. You know, people are like, oh, it's a mature market. And I think that's arguable. I think that there's a lot of legs left in this race. It's almost like an ultra marathon race, if anything. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we talk about how 
far we've come in the past 10, 12 years of, of doing this. But every time I have a conversation with someone about the, the macro view of the industry, it's still in its infancy. Yep. You know, like we're still in the very beginning of this. So people who think they are early to the game, late to the game, some of that matters. But what really matters is like, what are you doing? How are you doing it? You know, can it last six months, six years from now? You know, we can't even predict what's going to happen to our, our pricing in our industry six months from now. Sure. So you have to be able to be flexible and fluid. And, and Yeah, the light feet. Yeah. So I guess what what is next for you guys? What what does the future hold? Are there any, you share what you can, of course, but are there any like key states that are really attractive or, you know, clearly you're building this, you know, this monster, yeah. um, this training platform, this IP um, this internal stuff that's unique to you that you can then develop uh, anywhere. And, you know, for better or worse, COVID was a really nice opportunity for you guys to get put to the test on how well your systems and how well your SOPs and your training can be remotely. Yeah, I, I think the future for us will bring a lot more of, I guess, what we're trying to do right now, but on a very thoughtful or thought-oriented basis. You know, what we're trying to do is... Um, develop the technology to increase the efficiency of cannabis production to where it can withstand the pressures of the future. And the pressures of the future are going to be environmental, uh, regulatory, public perception based, right? There's all these kind of boxes that you have to tick to be able to continue and, and persist and grow your company. And, and we're just putting our heads down and trying to focus on that. So from a really direct perspective, we're developing our systems, right? Mm -hmm. Our fertigation systems to really control cultivation and be able to know what our outputs are going to look like, even though we're not at the end of the cycle yet, right? We're trying to do a lot of, um, of forecasting and planning. Um, we actually have basically built a, an ERP system with another company from ground up nice. so that we can put cost of goods to every single gram and specific grams of products that we, pr we produce, right? So one of the biggest challenges in cannabis right now is accounting. It's a very complex business to, to do this. And there's a lot of different components of it. And um, a lot of growers actually don't know how much it costs them to grow a pound of product. I always love when you ask what their cogs are and they give you this number, Just you know, like, it's, it's always, a, it's always a round number. Too, right. And know? is that always happening or does yeah. it fluctuate? Yeah. yeah. So we've been working hard on that because th that's going to guide our future, right? We cannot cultivate something or produce something that is not profitable because that, that's a business, right? So we have to know what those margins are, which is not easy. Um, so focusing on, again, the basics, right? Just figuring out how to, how to best account for this stuff, how to best cultivate and get the most efficiency out of it. I mean, that's going to be another big challenge. And I think the, the LED complex that we've set up is a step toward that. Um, you know, I know that there's states out there that don't allow more than a certain, you know, absolutely watts per watts square, per foot. square foot. foot. Right. Yeah. So, a lot of them. Yeah. And these we're days. not there in Colorado yet, but probably will be someday. And even if we're not forced to be there, we you, you should be, be. There. We you should, should be, be there, Right. Well, you guys are making active decisions that are more environmentally friendly. And it sounds like, you know, like most things that are environmentally friendly, they might cost you more but that's a decision that you guys as a company make. Can you elaborate a bit on any of those types of initiatives that you guys have taken? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we've, we've done some really simple things from trying to work on um, researching new alternative trellises. 
So we've looked at, for example, jute material, which is sort of a you know natural mm-hmm. fiber mm-hmm. Um, that can be used. Now you're not throwing plastic trellis in the garbage after every cycle. We actually replaced uh, zip ties at one of our facilities. So we would attach our trellis with plastic zip ties, mm-hmm. cut them at the end, goes right to the landfill after two months. We replaced those with these gear ties from a company called Night Eyes. They're reusable. We can wash them. And now we're saving a bunch of plastic and we don't have to buy a bunch of zip ties every cycle. Cool. So those are some, you know, little steps that we're taking. Some of the more uh, broad or, or, you know, all-encompassing steps are like researching technology with lighting, um, high-efficiency HVAC. You know, those are the steps that are sort of on the larger scheme of things, right? And that's when we collaborate with companies like, like PIP to increase the use of our square footage in our space. That's when we collaborate with Inspire to really figure out how can we get the most efficient cooling with the least amount of energy consumption, you know, all those types of factors. Again, with all of this, just the the focus of putting our heads down and trying to make every day better. Sure. We try to adopt the concept of continuous improvement in our company. So the Kaizen Kaizen mentality and lean. Exactly. Yep. And that's been, you know, you could say it's a cliche thing, but... When you, when you get it into the heads of every team member out there and you walk the floor, like you notice that people are looking around for ways to make their lives better. Yeah. It's interesting. So people like, you know, I, I don't know if like Kaizen or, or continuous improvement is like a buzzword for some people. It's like, it's, if you, if you just talk about it, it's whatever, but if you do it and actually implement it and you're tracking specifically around labor, tracking this progress and change you'll put it into everything you do. Yeah. I put lean into the stuff I do at my house. That's awesome. Um, but you know, and it's simple stuff, right? It's like tool boards at eye level, um, shadow boards for things like everything has a home, yeah. returning your space to zero, sorting through all this stuff. The concept of balance, you know, absolutely balance in every way, right. And in, in your workload and in, in your availability of supplies, like everything has to have balance, right? Yeah. No, it's, it's a very, overshadowing concept in our company in, in a good way. Right? Yeah. We try to get everybody under that umbrella of Kaizen because it, it makes a difference. And I think instilling the, the thought of continuous improvement in people's heads is huge, right? Because it's one thing to show up to a job and feel like you're going to do the same thing every time, every day. It's another thing to show up to a job and feel like you're changing an industry and making progress. And that's what we're trying to do. You know, I'm an outsider looking in, but it seems like you guys have a really nice culture here. I guess, can you talk to anything around culture or, you know, tips or advice or things that you do that help improve that? Uh, yeah, we've been really fortunate, I think, to amass a team of people who are, are like-minded, um, people who are respectful, and people who value each other, right? Some jobs, you kind of operate independently, you show up to work and you've got your desk and your assignment and your tasks. And, and you can largely do that without relying on anybody else, right? What we do here is the complete opposite of that, right? If, if somebody doesn't show up for work, the four other team members are going to be picking up the slack for that one person. And that's okay. Life happens, right? But, but there's that sort of family mentality here where we're all interdependent on each other. And I think bringing in people who realize that from the beginning is, is critical, right? Mm-hmm. We tend to think that we don't, we don't try to decide people's futures for them. People come into the company and they sort of see themselves if they fit or not. And, and you could tell, right? Some people come into the company, they, they fit with the mentality with what we're trying to do. 
and it's great, right? And some people come in and it's just kind of like going against the grain and they'll work their way out, sure. which is natural and, and that's okay, you know, but we don't, we don't try to fit a square peg in a round hole. Nice. Yeah. Really nice. So not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. If you had like one message for um, someone who is thinking about transitioning from traditional single tier HPS setup into a multi-tiered LED setup, I guess, what would that, what would that advisement look like? I would say talk, talk to people who've done it, talk to people who've seen it, go see it if you can, you know, um, part of what helped us gain the comfort level to take this leap or the step was the exposure we had to other facilities that had done this to other cultivators who had done this, who had shared their experiences, right? To us, the proof's in the pudding, right? So we're not going to get into anything until we either see it with our eyes or see the numbers out of it from somebody we trust. Mm -hmm. And so talking to people who have done it, talking to people who've seen it, I think was the most fundamental thing to actually get us to take the leap. And for anyone that's, you know, looking at multi-tiered racking, they can contact PIP. PIP has thousands of installations at this point, which is pretty incredible. I've watched them just really knock it out of the park the last four years. And they have, they have a showroom, of course, but they have lots of people. I mean, there's, I can't think of a state that PIP doesn't have an installation in. So I think that's really great advice. And for people listening, you can reach out to PIP. Uh, you, they usually give you a rep kind of associated with your area, or maybe that's associated with kind of your account if you're multi-state. But they can usually facilitate tours and plug you with growers or directors of operations and let you get it, you know, hear it from the horse's mouth kind of thing. Because I think if you're a grower, like you said, you've got to see it, you got to touch it, you got to feel it. In a perfect world, you got to smoke it to, you know, to really get the buy-in. Yeah. In this industry, I think far too many times people have um, inflated their their claims, right? And it people get burned, right? When, when, when there's so many claims that are made that are unsubstantiated and you know, I can yield this and I can produce that and I can make it for this many dollars per pound. Like, sure, that's great that you can say those things, but show me. Yeah. Show me that you can Consistently. do it year after year. Yeah, yeah. that's it for sure. So. Well, I want to thank you so much for being so gracious with your time. It's a real pleasure to watch your progress over the years and the company uh, that you're a part of. And uh, for all of us listening, uh, tune in to the next episode of Cultivation Elevated and have a great day. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Pleasure is all mine, man. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks for listening to Cultivation Elevated. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at pipporticulture.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and a review and rate this podcast.com forward slash cultivation elevated. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.